Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Sadly, my mom is 14 hours away today, um, but I got to see her yesterday, so that's always good. Um, thankful to be here with you. I uh, came in last night, had an amazing weekend with uh, some of my groomsmen. I'll be married right here in this room next week. Um, excited about that, and hopefully it'll look as good or better than this. Very lucky today. Mothers, this is just for you. Either that or we just forgot to take it down last night. So, <laughs> If you would, go ahead and turn uh, and take your copy of the Word of God. And, and we're going to be in James chapter 1. Uh, we're also going to be in Luke today. Um, Luke chapter 8 as well. We've all heard the phrase, His Word is law. We hear it as authority given to one speech who has proven leadership. Generally, this phrase is applied to a parent or an authority. It can be said of someone who is consistently faithful to deliver on their promises. God's word in the same manner is law. But it's more than law. As John shows us in the opening of his gospel, God's very word became flesh dwelt among us. David tells us in his Psalms that God's word is a lamp for our path. Even the authors of the epistles reference God's word as a sword, one that divides between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, gets to the very heart of who we are. It's also a sword that fights for us, defends against temptation and evil. It's the message of good news revealed in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And James, James shows us how the Word of God has been implanted in us. In verse 18, we begin to read about this word implanted. So if you will, read along with me. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Let's take a moment to look at James as a book. James is known as a general epistle. It's not written to a specific church. It's written to the diaspora, the people that are spread out. James is the half-brother of Jesus, He would have spent most of his life being near Jesus, though he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God until after he resurrected. He's writing to Jews here. This could have been written during the time like Dan was talking about last week, where Philip is going into Samaria. He's preaching. And Samaria is a very weird place for them to be delivering the gospel. At this point, only Jews had received the gospel. They'd received Christ. And Samaritans were half-Jews. They weren't full Jewish blood. In fact, they were despised by Jews. And to have this Ethiopian receive the gospel was very strange. Philip begins to preach to the rest of Samaria as he's carried away by the Spirit. And you see more Samaritans coming to believe. And so James, this book is written, it's nestled in that time of before. 
It's nestled in that time of the Pentecost has happened. We've gone back home. We've began to spread the gospel to our brothers and sisters, our Jewish brothers and sisters. And it's in this context that James begins to teach. He's going to pull from the Old Testament because that's all he knows. He's going to be pulling from the things that he heard his brother Jesus say. And he's connecting these dots for these Jewish believers that are spread out all over the Mediterranean. Verse 19. This you know, brethren, that everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. This structure should be very familiar to this. This is a very Old Testament proverbial way of speaking. I mean, he's speaking as Solomon in the Proverbs. These are wise sayings that he's putting together here. This is not like Paul, who's writing to a very specific church addressing specific issues. James is giving us practical ways to live out our faith. Whereas Paul is giving us a foundation of who Christ is, who God is, and his plan of redemption, James is taking this on the ground level, and he's teaching us how to walk. Let's continue on. It's verse 21. Therefore, because we know this, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And if you'll turn to Luke chapter 8 should be familiar to all of us. Spent quite a bit of Luke and time in Luke uh, this year and last. We're going to see a very similar teaching here. In Luke chapter 8, Christ has just taught the parable of the sower. Seeds falling on different types of soil. Should be very familiar with this. And the different reception and the different ways that the seeds grow based on what kind of soil they fall on. He then begins to tell his disciples and reveal to them the true meaning of this parable. But we're going to be jumping down to verse 15. We're looking for the meat. Just as James is not in the clouds with parables, he's very practical, Jesus gets very practical with his disciples. In verse 15, he's summing up his illustration of the seeds. And then he begins to further expound on that in the following verses. So let's look at verse 15. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. I think there's three truths for us to see today. Not just three. Three truths that I want to expose to you. First, the word is a seed to be planted. 
Let's look back at verse 21 in James chapter 1. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Jesus in verse 15, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast. They're saying the same things here. As we can read on in verse 19 of that same Luke passage, and his mother and his brothers came to him, James would have been in the presence of Christ at this time. He would have heard this teaching. He may have heard this teaching multiple times. And he's giving these Jewish believers another snapshot of Christ's teaching. He's being obedient to the call that Christ gave his disciples, which is teach all nations all that I've commanded you. So we see just in verse 21 here, there's some prerequisites to receiving the word implanted. First, it must be planted with the right heart without the presence of sin. He says, putting aside all filthiness. He can't even get past the therefore. He can't even get to what he's about to say without first saying, put aside all filthiness and all remnants of sin. Get rid of it. Second, it's planted for the salvation of our souls. He said it's able to save. It's able to save. He doesn't say it will save. It's able to save. So there's more to come here. There's not, it hasn't, he hasn't finished his statement. It's able to save your souls, but you have to receive it without sin by removing all the, all the filthiness in your life here. It's to be received humbly. In other words, it's not in a spirit of arrogance. It's not in a spirit of, oh, I knew that. It's not in a spirit of intellectually agreeing with the premise of it. Even Christ says, who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. Hold it fast. They bear fruit, all with perseverance. The word is a seed to be planted. Secondly, I think we see here the word is a calling to be acted on. Look at verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James is saying here, we prove our faith by acting on the call. The word is not just a seed that's being planted in your heart. It is a calling to something greater and something active. But he's very careful here. He said, not merely hearers. We've heard the kind of reception that we need to have to the word, something in an honest and a good heart, without filthiness in our life, in humility, but not merely hearers. Because he says, merely hearers are the ones that delude themselves. It's a delusion that we create for ourselves. We may sit in the back row, I've done this myself, and we sit in the back row and we, we just agree with everything the pastor says. We're very excited about it. It sounds wonderful. And he's calling us to action. He's calling to witness to our community. And he's calling us to do all these great things. And we, we think in our heads, we can imagine ourselves actually doing those things. And the moment that he says that prayer and we all get up and we see our best friend and we ask about lunch and we get in the car and we turn on the ignition and we go, we've completely forgotten 
what we just learned. Because we deluded ourselves. We not only created a delusion for ourselves, but we diluted the gospel that was preached to us. We made it into something that we can just agree with. That sounds really good. It sounds amazing to do all these things. To be world changers. To sit in the room and see all these missionaries being sent out and say, yeah, I'd totally do that. That sounds awesome. We may even go to the India meeting. We may go meet with the BSU on our campuses about a trip that we're, we're interested in. But really what we're doing, if we're not on board, then we're just deluding ourselves. Jesus continues in his passage. Now, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a container or puts it under a bed. It's ridiculous. But he puts it on a lampstand where it belongs so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Jesus is saying here, listen, if you've received this word in an honest and good heart, you're holding it fast, you're bearing fruit with perseverance, then shine that light. There is no reason to put that light under a bed, to put something on top of it. In other passages, he would say, you are a city on a hill. People will see the light. We've all been driving to a city like Atlanta or, or maybe Chattanooga or maybe Jackson, and you can see the light at night. It's an aura that goes around the city just because of the brilliance of the lights being lit up in the city. And he's saying, listen, this is who you are. You cannot hide it. If you've received the word that's been implanted into your life, then it will be seen. It will be evident. And James is urging us on, prove, prove yourselves, doers. If you have received the word, then show it. Let it be brilliant. Let it shine bright. Even as John talks about the word that became flesh, he said he was the light, the true light to all men. And Christ gives us this incredible opportunity to be the light, to shine in the darkness, not to delude ourselves. The word is a seed to be planted. It's a calling to be acted on. Thirdly, I think we see the word is an image to be conformed to. Let's hit James one more time here. Verse 25. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, intently, the perfect law, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. James says, We must look intently into the Word, it's a mirror. It's a standard. It shows us an image of what we ought to be, of what we should be. And it's not an image that we'll attain. I'm not standing before you as someone who's got this figured out. Far from it. 
I'm standing as someone who really needs this mirror, who needs this passage as well. I struggle with all of these things. But I take comfort in the fact that the liberty brought by the gospel is that Jesus has done it. He's accomplished it. He's finished it. He's perfected it. He's completed it. He is the finisher and the author of our faith. How amazing is that? He is the image. He's done it for us. But we still must look intently into it because if we look in the mirror as the first man, just to check our face, just to see if we've got any blemishes, maybe some nose hairs to be trimmed up or some eyebrows to be plucked, and we go away, then we're immediately forgetting what we've seen. Because we can come here every Sunday, we can sit down with our Bible group on Wednesdays, and we can be told how we should live our lives. We can be shown that mirror very quickly, can't we? And then immediately once we leave, we forget everything that we've just seen in ourselves. We may even pray for it right then, but the rest of the week, we have forgotten exactly what we just saw in ourselves that the Word has revealed to us. We must look intently into that Word. We must continue in it by abiding in it. Christ calls us to this. Abide in me and I in you. Continue on. Don't just look intently into it and say, okay, I see myself and I'm completely disgusting with my wickedness. I see that. And I'm humbled by it. But if we don't do anything about it, then it will always remain that image. It's an image that we're looking at of Christ, this perfection that we need to be conformed to. And he's saying, continue in it, abide in it. There's a great point brought out by a commentator on this that I think we have a hard time dealing with in James, is that he seems to be saying that if you have faith, then you will do works, and if you don't do works, then you don't have faith. He's kind of labeling this as works-based salvation, this kind of idea that I can work towards my salvation, that I can somehow earn it. But James is not saying this at all. If you look at what he says, he says, this man will be blessed in what he does. He's not saying that the blessings come by doing it, that you're going to just be showered with riches and wealth and all these great spiritual gifts after the fact that you've done it. He's saying he's blessed by the fact that he's doing it. It's not a standalone. It's not, I do it so that I'll receive something. It's, I'm doing it because I'm receiving something. I'm receiving joy and peace and happiness and this amazing connection with my Savior because I'm doing it and I want to do it because I want to prove myself. Let's look back at what Jesus says. Verse 18. After all of this, we can, if you, if you want to just take a pen and circle that word so... And if you're not offended at drawing in your Bible, you can draw a line all the way back up to 15. So, after all I've just said, so, here's the point. Take care. 
how you listen. Take care how you listen. And ladies and gentlemen, this is where it gets real for us. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. This is not possessions. This is not wealth. We can see it that way all we want. We can delude ourselves in that. More shall be given. And whoever does not have, even, and here's the key part, even what he thinks, what he thinks that he has, the one sitting in the back row listening to all of this and saying, this is great, this sounds awesome. You know what, I can, I can agree, I concur. I am a bad person and I, I need Jesus. And then immediately leaves with absolutely nothing in their life. Even what he thinks that he has, this understanding that he claims that he knows, it will be taken away from him, just like the crow snatches up the seed from the path. Let's not be that. Christ is warning us here, listen, even what you think that you have will be taken away from you. But if you're receiving the word in an honest and a good heart, you're removing all the filthiness in your life and you've come here to be changed today by the power and the word of the law of liberty, the very gospel of Jesus Christ. Then what you do have, that seed that's been implanted into your heart, that's able to save your soul, more will be given to you. He's calling us to this. It's simply not enough to listen. And it's something that I struggle with in my life, to be able to come here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to be pounded by the word of truth and then somehow turn around and change. But I'm telling you, it's already been done. Live in the freedom of the gospel. He says, look into the law, the perfect law, the law of liberty, to know that you don't have to be perfect because we're going to get you there if we're looking intently into the Word of God. So how do we apply this? I've talked about how we sit here and we delude ourselves and we don't listen. So what's the application? First, I think we see that the implanted Word receives power through its message. Romans 1.16 says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the word of God, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul is saying that the message has the ability to save. James says this, Receive the word of planet. It's able to save your souls. The word of God receives its power from the simple message that Jesus Christ has accomplished. All the we ever could, and more so. The gospel is the law of liberty. It's not this Old Testament law. James, though deeply ingrained into the Old Testament law, he's saying it's been, a, it's been completed. It's been finished. You can put that to the side with all your filthiness and look here at the perfect law of liberty. It's that law of liberty that brings freedom from the dominion of sin and the captivating power of guilt and the kind of dominion that it can seek over your life. 
So the implanted word receives power through its message. Secondly, the implanted word requires action. Follow along with me in James 121 here. Therefore, first, putting aside all that remains of wickedness, all filthiness. Some versions of the Bible say rampant wickedness. It's rampant. We don't realize it. We've deluded ourselves. We, the image that we see in our mirror does not look like anything that is in the true mirror and the word of God. Put it, put it aside. This is James's way of saying, repent. Turn away from what you're doing. How can we come here without a sincere heart, without a good heart, without a good conscience towards God and expect to receive anything? Lay aside the remnants of sin. Secondly, the second action that he calls us to is that to humbly receive the word. To receive is to believe. Believe the word. First, turn away from what you're doing. Secondly, receive the word. Believe it. Don't just intellectually assent to it and say, that sounds good. That sounds better than Islam. No, this is something that says receive it. Let it be implanted. As the King James says, let it be engrafted. This is the image of a plant and a branch be taken off and grafted to the root. This has become a part of you. It's inseparable from you. Receive that. Turn aside from what you're doing and then come and receive this word. The third action that this is calling us to is to obey. You must obey the word by doing the word. Hebrews 5, 9 says, And being made perfect, this is Christ, He became the source of eternal salvation to those who obey Him. Not to those who were ungrateful and did whatever they wanted to, but to those who obey Him. He said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's simple. It's simple. It makes sense. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If he is truth, if his word is law, then this should be a simple thing, but it's not. Because we've got all this filthiness and this rampant wickedness in our lives that we can't even see because we're not looking into the word of God. And I'm guilty of this. I'm so guilty of this. To come before you and say that I've got this figured out would be the biggest lie I could ever tell to you. It's a challenge we need to hear. The word commands baptism. Just as Dan taught us last week about baptism, it's a command. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus starts, All authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go preach to all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I've commanded you. Baptizing them. 
Peter would tell this to the Jews, the 3,000 that received the word. Be baptized, repent, and be baptized. The action that the implanted word calls us to do is to turn aside from what we're doing, to receive the word that would be implanted to save your soul, and to obey. And if you're not a believer, that's first step. It's baptism. That first step is a public f- profession that you're not ashamed of the gospel, that you're here to be grafted in to the family of God, and that you have received this word that has been implanted into your heart for the salvation of your soul. And if we are here today and we have been saved and we agree with this and we, we're on board, we're tracking with it and we're listening in an honest and good and sincere heart, then we should be planting the seeds. It's our job, it's our duty, it's the calling that he's called us to. Go, go, go. Leave from where you're at right now and go, therefore. And preach to all nations. It's our duty, it's our calling. If you've received the word implanted, your next step is to go. Wherever. As you're going throughout this walk in life, Deuteronomy 30, 14 and Jeremiah 31, 33 both echo this concept that the word has been implanted in God's people. It said it's near to your mouth and in your heart. I'm going to write it on your heart. This word is both our salvation and our power over the dominion of sin. Reading the word brings great joy brings great peace. It brings great happiness. But this joy cannot be made complete until it's lived out in our obedience. The Word, the very being of Christ and His salvation unto man is life to the believer. I struggle to live each day by the Word, abiding in it. I struggle with that. But I urge us on to maturity in Christ. As our light can break the darkness around us, I hear so many times of people complaining about this downtown area. I've done it myself. About Hattiesburg in general, maybe Mississippi in general, about how there's all these problems. Well, so-and-so, did you see how that person treated me today? They must hate me. They must have no respect for me. But we don't do anything about it. We don't realize that we have the very tool that can reshape Hattiesburg. You know, Christ gives this image of the light. And uh, this is my one Mother's Day reference. So if you haven't been listening, mothers, this is for you. Um, I'm from northeast Tennessee, and we, have, we don't have tornadoes. We don't have hurricanes. We're kind of nestled in the mountains there. But we did have a freak accident where we were not prepared whatsoever for any natural disaster, and the power went out for weeks. And we had these terrible storms that knocked down power lines. And my mother, taking what she knew from her childhood, she began to light candles all over the house. Now, candles only give off so much light. 
I mean, really, they're, they're quite a nice gesture. They're aesthetically pleasing, but in the end, they don't really achieve much. But she did something brilliant. My mother has always been incredibly creative and incredibly brilliant. She took that candle, each candle, and she put it up to a mirror. She had mirrors all over the house, and she would put on our coffee table, she had a mirror that she would sit down and she would put three candles on it. And she would take the mirror on the wall above the mantel and she would put candles up to it. And what's incredible about this is that once the light touches the mirror, it reflects the light throughout the entire room. And so this small flame, this small candle, once it's put up next to the big mirror, its power is magnified. And I remember those nights where we would sit around our living room, the only room that we had enough candles to light in the house, and we would just begin to sing songs or read books out loud to one another or read scripture and have just precious time with my parents and my brother. We have been ignited. We have been set on fire by this word that has been planted in us. We have been called to be the light to the rest of the world. And we have the opportunity to take this little flame, this little tiny candle, and magnify it by looking intently into the word of God and acting exactly on what it says. So let's not be found at Venue Church as deluded hearers who come here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and just hear a good word. I'd love to encourage you every day of the week. But if you don't take that encouragement and do something with it, then I'm pointless. I'm just a guy in a really weird colored shirt. So let's be effectual doers. Let's have an effect to what we do when we walk out of here. Let's see a community changed by the power and the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ has come and accomplished everything that we could not do. This law that we did have was completed. It was fulfilled. And the thing that he did surpasses all that we could ever do. He has made us right with the very God of heaven who loves us and wanted us back for his own possession so desperately that he sacrificed his own son who sacrificed his very life willingly on the cross for us. And if that's not good news for us today and that's not something to act on to go plant those seeds then I don't know what else I can tell you. And as we're being effectual doers, let's live that in the liberty of the gospel. Knowing that we are going to mess up, that we're going to stub our two, that we're going to scrape our knee, that we're going to say something wrong, that we're not brave enough to go share the gospel. But that's why there's the gospel, because it gives us boldness. It gives us the boldness to pick up the cross, to drink from the bitter cup, to move forward on Calvary Road, to sacrifice our lives daily for the benefit of the kingdom, praying each day that that kingdom would come faster and faster, that it would grow bigger and brighter, that that kingdom would grow to be a city on a hill, that as you approached God's people, you would feel God's presence. That's my prayer for us today. And if you had a wonderful mother like I do, 
you will be encouraged every day of your life to move on to that. I know there's amazing mothers. There's soon-to-be mothers here. There's, there's a mother being made a mother right now that I know about because <laughs> she's having her first child. Mothers, fathers, let's encourage our children. Not mine. I don't have any. I'm, I'm far away from that. But <laughs> let's encourage our, our children. And children, be encouraged by your parents. Watch their example. Live their example. This word that is a seed to be planted, it's a calling to be acted on. And it's an image to be conformed to. Let's receive that word today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for um, leaving this room so beautiful for us and for all of our mothers. And I thank you so much for who they are to us and what they do for us. Lord, I thank you for this word. This word that can be implanted in us, that can be grown in us, that can be watered and nurtured. Lord, and I pray that we would do that for one another and that you yourself, through your word, would grow us. I pray for these people, as for myself, that we would not be deluded here this morning, but that we would have the power from your gospel to go into our community and be effectual doers. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for that sacrifice that freed us from the slavery of sin and death. This is your time in which we will lift our voices to praise your name. We offer up ourselves as we take communion, as we take the bread and the wine and we commit ourselves to you. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen.